If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4 this morning. Many people have adopted as a business motto the term, keep the main thing, the main thing. This originated by Stephen Covey, uh, and this is a call to identify what is the most important thing one has to live for, and to keep that thing as the main focus in one's life. While this is a great idea, in theory, very few people are able to live it out consistently. I can identify, can you? It's easy for life to become more about everything but the main thing, as distractions in our culture are all around us overwhelming. Right now, we've got this whole presidential thing going on. Who do I vote for? I have no good choices. Which one? How about vacation plans? Summer is almost here. Memorial Day just occurred, kind of marking uh, the beginning of summer to some degree. Figure out where you're going to go, what you're going to do, if you're going to take the kids or not, right? Kids are looking at the parents. I am going, right? Healthy eating habits. I got to be able to put on my swim trunks and look good, right? So I need to start paying attention to what I'm eating. Okay, got to have that nice six-pack. I have a six-pack, folks. It's just inside a fuzzy cooler, all right? We all have six-packs. We just put them away somewhere. Okay, what about graduation? All those things are going on in our lives right now. Keeping with a healthy body, how much cake am I going to eat? Because you all know that we go, we take a quick look at the table of food, but we're looking for the cake table. Am I wrong? Or can I get an amen on that one? The Galgosi family especially, because you make like almost all of them for us, and we love you for that. Our graduation plans, getting all of those papers together, those pictures for those boards. I had one of the seniors tell me they tried to hide all their pictures from their parents, so they couldn't find all of the uh, pictures that mom was not needing to find. Right, Chrissy? Right? All these kinds of things with stress at work, stress at home, all sorts of things get in the way of the main thing. Or worse yet, maybe those become the main thing in our lives. However, as we read the closing chapter of Paul's final letter here, we get a strong sense that Paul had kept the main thing, the main thing. He wrote in verse 7 of chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Father God, as we get into your word here this morning, I pray that you would uh, speak through this uh, broken vessel here. It's not Chris Howard's words, it's yours that are being communicated here. I pray that you would empower them and speak to our hearts and to our lives so that we can leave a changed people here this morning. God, we love you. We thank you first and foremost for your son and for this life that you've given to us. May we be found faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. What's more important in life than knowing why one is on earth and living consistently to carry out one's God-given mission? Everything in Paul's life was focused on furthering the gospel. When the end came for Paul, he had no regrets whatsoever. Can you say the same thing about your life right now? If your life, if my life were to end, if I got into a fatal car accident in our parking lot or on your way home, 
would you be able to say the same thing? Would you have no regrets? I asked the students one time if they knew what an epitaph was. Not very many knew. How many know what an epitaph is in this group, right? Okay, on your tombstone, there's the name. Here lies Chris Howard. March 29th, 1985, dash. I have no idea. But if it were today, it would say today. What's it going to say under that? How will that person be remembered? For Paul, you could say he's the man that fought the good fight. He kept the faith. He finished his course. His life was one that honored and glorified God. Is that how he would be remembered? How would I be remembered? How would you be remembered with the life that you have? Would other people be able to say, here's Josiah, and he knew how to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing was the gospel, was God. If your last week, this last week that just happened, if it were captured on camera, and I told the guy back there, go ahead and hit play, and we start watching your last week on the screen with everybody here. Some of you are like, you didn't really do that, did you? Some of you are getting nervous. But if it were captured on camera and we played it back, what would it reveal to everyone about your main thing? Would we be able to identify what the main thing is for you? And then beyond that, would we be able to identify the main thing for you as being Christ, as being God, the gospel, or something else? Would your actions, would your words, your decisions be aimed towards a purpose that is heavenward or one that is earthly focused or selfishly focused? Let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, if you would, please. And we'll take a look at the passion of Paul and learn from his example how to keep the gospel the main thing. The main thing. Look with me, verses 1 through, four, uh, through 5. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For you seniors, speaking to you, I'm speaking to everybody, but specifically for our seniors here, we need to take account in this because you're going to be leaving, you're going to be going off to your colleges, to your uh, professions, wherever that is, that's not home, that's not here. Some things that we need to take out of verse 1 here for all of us is that beginning, at the beginning, we're in the presence of God. Wherever you go, you're going to be in the presence of God. You may leave here and not be in the presence of your family anymore. You may not be in the presence of your church family anymore. But you know whose presence you are in? And you're never going to get away from? Answer? Oh, come on. You can uh, know for more certainty than that. Who is it? Three-letter word, G-O-D. What? Thank you. We are in God's presence. Secondly, his and only his judgment matters. Like all of us understand the idea of pressure, peer pressure, 
feeling that we're judged by other people, the thing that we need to take into account here is that there's only one judge, and it's God. Nobody else's judgments on your life matter. It doesn't matter. What I think of you doesn't matter. What pastor thinks of you doesn't matter. In judgment, God's judgment matters. We need to be living our life in such a way that we honor and glorify him, not ourselves, not our parents, not our siblings, not our pastors, not our bosses. It doesn't matter. Because if we are first and foremost living a life to honor and glorify God, all the rest of it should trickle out. Thirdly, in verse 1, we need to rest in the knowledge that Christ is coming again. You looking forward to that day? I'm looking forward to that day. Here in verse 2, it says, Preach the Word. The Word is Scripture. You look back at chapter 3 and verse 16, this is a very familiar passage to us. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. We as believers are to preach the Word. Seniors, as you are leaving, excuse me, graduates. You're not seniors anymore, you're graduates. As you move on, remember that we need to be preaching the word. And it includes proclaiming the good news. We know the good news is the gospel. And gospel for Paul is not only an evangelistic presentation. The gospel is the core message found in the whole of Scripture. Now, it's pertinent to unbelievers because uh, this message or this message is a call to faith. It's a call to faith to accept a free gift that God has given to us. It's applicable to the believers because it's a call to continue believing in and living out its message. Salvation, the gospel, this may be a newsflash for some folks, hopefully not, but the gospel is not just one message that we continue to proclaim to our Awana kids, to our Sunday school kids, to our VBS kids, to our coworkers, and once they get saved, the gospel's irrelevant now. Because it's a message of salvation, nothing else, right? Wrong. For an unbeliever, that's what it is. It's the good news, drawing them to Christ. But beyond that, once you're a believer, the gospel continues. It's an example of how we should be living our lives, who we should be modeling our lives after, and that's Jesus Christ. goes on to say that we need to be ready in season and out of season. This, this means when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Raise your hand if you've ever been inconvenienced in your entire life. Everybody's hand should be up, right? You're going to get to a graduation party one of these days and find that the cake's all gone. What an inconvenience, right? We need to be ready in season and out of season. Graduates, you're going to be going off. It's not just Sundays that you are ready to study and uh, speak the Word of God. It's not just uh, when you are planning for it. You know, it's in your dorm room. It's when you're by yourself. We need to always be ready, regardless of convenience. We're to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, which means communicating all that Scripture includes. It's doctrine, it's instructions, it's corrections, it's encouragement. All of Scripture. We don't get to pick the pieces that we want and speak those. And only those. I think I heard 
pastor say once, um, I think it was you that said, what page does your faith start on? Okay, there are folks that they don't look at the entire scriptures as being uh, inspired or God-breathed or relevant, but there are certain portions. What does the Old Testament mean to us now? We've got the New Covenant, right? We don't need the Old Testament. Well, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Cover to cover, God authored the entire scripture. If he only wanted us to have part of it, we'd only have part of it. But we have the whole thing. We need to preach, teach the entire canon. Not just the parts that give us the warm fuzzies inside, right? There's some pretty convicting passages in scripture, are there not? There are some that give us those warm fuzzies. Call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's a warm and fuzzy passage right there. But then the one verses that tell us how we are to live our life, maybe Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, is a passage that you're not a big fan of because you want to do your own thing. We need to also remember that patience in such teaching is a good idea. Have any of you ever tried to teach or train a two-year-old? I don't have one, but I've got three, uh, two nieces and a nephew, and I've been there for that. Okay, Teaching those young kids takes a lot of patience, don't you think? Yeah, Some of you have grandkids. It takes a little bit of patience, either that or sugar, to get them to relax in your presence, right? Grandparents, we all know that you tend to take the sugar route at that point. Verse 3 and 4, people will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Again, we need to stay focused on the complete canon of Scripture and the preaching and the teaching of the whole Bible, not just what I feel like today. Well, pastor was preaching about uh, this topic last week, and I, I didn't like it. I was offended. Okay. Don't be offended at him. He was just preaching what God said. But my feelings matter, so I don't like what he said. I'm going to go to this church instead because they do this, or they say it this way, and it doesn't hurt my feelings. Gang, as you move on, graduates, one of you uh, had, had listed one of the things that we as a church family can pray for is for you to find a good church to go to uh, near school. I think it was Grand Valley. Was it Nick? Nick, I think. You're here somewhere. Where'd you go? I'm seeing family, and they keep pointing. Wherever you are, Nick, you're looking for a church. I emailed you, by the way, some really good churches over there in the Grand Rapids area, so check those out. Got some good churches over there. But uh, we as, uh, or you as graduates can easily start going around and looking for a church that makes you feel good or has the music that's upbeat and exciting that you can jump around to or clap your hands, and it's just I'm finding a church that makes me feel good. Beware. Beware. You're going to have itching ears for those kinds of things. Scripture here in verses 3 and 4 say that we're going to accumulate for ourselves teachers to suit our own passions. And we need to be careful that we're not going from a worldly passion perspective, but we're looking from a biblically passion perspective. Because if you are passionately uh, looking for someone to preach the Word of God, then you're going to find a good church. But if you're looking to uh, find something that makes you feel good or is upbeat and exciting, 
and compromises on the Scripture side of it, you're going to have a problem, just like they do here in Scripture, or as he's warning Timothy about. Their itching ears will desire words of peace and affirmation rather than the truth of God's Word. This phenomenon is seen in the Old Testament as the true prophets of God were also persecuted while false prophets were called for and promoted. You can look in Acts chapter 7. Uh, Stephen even pointed this fact out, verse 52, and he was stoned for it. He was stoned for it. What's going to happen to us? Most likely we're not going to be stoned and killed because we seek out a church that preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. But if Stephen was able to be an example to us in going to his death because of that conviction, can you handle a bit of criticism from somebody? Keep in mind, graduates, you're moving on to a different stage of life. They're going to be all new people. So just be who God wants you to be. They don't know any different. Verse 5, believers don't need... Uh, we as believers are, don't necessarily need to study all the different forms of false teaching, okay? We don't need to go out there and study every single different kind of religion, every single different kind of false teachers to be able to identify what is true and what is false. That's a whole lot of information, and I'll tell you that the false teaching category continues to grow every single day, okay? Because they always come up with something new. Thankfully, we have one edition, and that edition never changes. A lot easier that way. Their editions will continue to get revised based on popular opinion, based on culture, based on whatever. But don't study all the different forms of, of false teaching that exist in the world to know what is true and what is not. We simply need to know the truth. This one right here. Study this one. A good illustration for this principle comes from the world of banking. Orville, you'll probably know this one. Bankers don't study all the various forms of counterfeit money in order to identify them. Instead, they study the real McCoy. They study the genuine bills so they can tell when something varies from the real thing. If you're so focused on the $1 bill and you know everything about a real $1 bill, when a fake one comes across to your desk or in front of you at the cashier counter or whatever, it's going to pop out and you're going to notice it because you are very familiar with the real one. Parents, you're very familiar with your children, okay? It's weird, some of you that have triplets or uh, multiple children that are around the same age when they're little kids, people are introduced to your kids, and then they have no clue which one's which. And the parent's like, oh, just a second. Okay, that's Timmy, Tommy, and James. Okay, how'd you know that? They're my kids. I study their faces, right? You guys spend hours at the crib, especially with your first child, because it's your first, just staring at him. He's breathing. He's so real. Shh. Right? You're studying their face. You know the real child, so when a, false, a fake one comes in that's not yours, you know it. I hope that doesn't happen to you. <laughs> hey, honey, this ain't our kid. Somebody's got ours. Poor soul. Study the real thing, and then all the fake things are going to be obvious to you. In the same way, just like the bankers, we as believers need to study the genuine truth, the Bible. 
A student of the truth will know when a teaching disagrees with Scripture and will be able to reject the teaching as false. Look with me. uh, Well, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, starting actually in verse 10, uh, says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away uh, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Are we studying scripture? Are we students of scripture? This is all of us, not just the graduates. Are we studying scripture so detailed, so in-depth, that when the false stuff comes along, you don't have to think about it too long. You just know that's wrong. It's contradictory to scripture. Or it's like, oh, well, let me, let me, let me look. Go to the concordance and see if I can find something that fits that. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just ask pastor. Okay, he's here. We're here to be resources. But you know what? Are we not all called to be scripture uh, students of the scripture? Raise your hand if you can read. Some of you are laughing. I don't know why. We can read. We can comprehend things. We can learn. We can grow. These are the things that we need to learn. We need to be students of the truth in order to identify the false teachers. That's going to help you graduates immensely as you are responsible for yourself. You no longer are following after, well, this is where my parents go to church, so that's why I'm here. Well, you know what? Now you get to uh, do the decision-making. You get to figure out what church you're going to go to or if you're going to go to church, which I pray you do. Otherwise, we may come and give you a holier-than-thou kick in the uh, behind. In Christian love, of course. Verse 6 through 8. For I am ready, or I am already, Paul speaking, being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. As an example and motivation for Timothy, Paul cites his uh, experience in the ministry and his impending martyrdom. Paul depicted his martyrdom in terms of being a drink offering that was being poured out. He went on to use a common traveling term, the the term departure, to describe his homeward or heavenly, uh, heavenward journey. But before his death, he looked back over his approximate 30 years uh, in ministry and described it in three very well-known expressions. Paul had been faithful in fighting a fight, running a race, and guarding a treasure. Each of these pursuits involved hard work. Life is hard work. The Christian life is hard work. Getting through high school was hard work, was it not? Getting through college is going to be hard work, right? Hard work, sacrifice, and even danger. Now, the crown of righteousness in verse uh, 8 awaited him, and the crown of righteousness will be awarded to all who heartily anticipate Christ's coming. Are you anticipating his return right now? Or are you just anticipating lunch? Which one's greater? Be honest. Are you anticipating lunch or Christ's return better? I hope it's Christ's return because food up there is a lot better. No offense to anybody's cooking, but I'm right. 
crown of righteousness will be rewarded to those who heartily anticipate Christ's coming. Not because you worked hard to earn it, but because the attitude of anticipation is an evidence of your justification or your salvation. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, the proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. It's not your diploma, graduates. It's the relationships, the knowledge, the hard work that took place all the way up to this point. It's the activity itself. When it's concluded, all that went into that, that's your reward. Not just a piece of paper that says you did it. 1 John 2, 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The unbeliever dreads the coming of Jesus Christ, and the believer is waiting for him with bated breath and ready for it, and has a boldness when Christ appears. In conclusion, verse uh, 9 through the end of the chapter, we'll go through this quicker because I know that you want lunch. Paul concludes with a final warning and, and a final greeting here. As Paul closes what would be the final letter of his life, we read his most immediate concerns. They're very practical in nature, but also very intimate, revealing to us the heart of this wise and experienced servant of God. Paul shares with Timothy two people who had been a disappointment. You see in verse 10 that we hear of, of Demas, who fell in love with the world and deserted Paul. We all know people like that or have had those experiences in our life. They, they are interested in you or what you're interested in, but as soon as something better comes along, they jump ship, right, and move on to something else. Demas fell in love with the world and deserted Paul. We see here that um, Cretans and Titus also left, not necessarily on bad terms, however, Later on in verse 14, we find that Alexander, a coppersmith who had done or who had done Paul great harm. Folks, there's going to be people that you come across who's going to do you harm. No perfect people in this auditorium here this morning. We all make mistakes. We're going to offend people from time to time, hopefully not intentionally. We're going to let people down. Paul knows who to focus on and who to keep the main thing because that main thing will not let you down ever. This is one of the things he's trying to get across to Timothy. But Paul also identifies some people who had uh, become a help to him. And verse 11 uh, is uh, very useful to me uh, for ministry, he says, about Mark. And it's encouraging news since Paul and John Mark had departed on bad terms back in Acts chapter 15. But here at the end of Paul's life, he's telling Timothy that Mark is a good one, useful for ministry. And we also find in Acts chapter 18, he talks about Priscilla and Aquila, them being longtime workers alongside Paul and had contributed to his ministry in great ways. How many of you know whenever you have a protege, you're trying to give them all the information that you can so that they can be a success, right? Paul's getting to the end of his life, and he's trying to just give everything that he possibly can to Timothy to be a help to him. Beware of these kinds of people, but these people right here, 
You want them on your side. They're going to be a help to you. So what do these personal details reveal about the life and ministry of Paul? How do they relate to Christians today? Well, those who would embark on a life of full-time ministry or even uh, those who would uh, like to make ministry a part of their lives, believers in Jesus Christ, believe it or not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are involved in the ministry or you're at least expected and called to be involved in the ministry. Not necessarily as a pastor or a missionary, but wherever you work, wherever you go to school, the people around you, you are a minister to those people. Paul had experienced the very real and very common realities of unreliable people who had hurt him and caused him grief. I think we can relate to that at some point in our life. These will be the realities for any believer who is committed to the cause of Christ. But God had not left him alone because he also had those who, he remained, who had remained faithful. Each follower of Christ sitting here could probably name at least one person if not more, who are a source of spiritual encouragement and challenge to you. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it was a pastor, Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a friend or it could have been a complete stranger that sought to impart some spiritual wisdom and it, and it never left you. The final words of Paul paint the picture of a frail servant of God who had faithfully run the race set before him. It is also the picture of a man deserted by many of his closest companions in a cold jail cell without even a cloak to keep him warm or a book to keep him company. And this is how Paul died, alone. Does that sound familiar? Jesus Christ, maybe? The one who was bruised and beaten for you and for me, nailed upon a cross of wood. That's the main thing, being nailed to a cross. The gospel in the flesh died alone. Even God the Father turned his back on him because he was taking the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, all on his shoulders nailed to that cross. Not that one specifically, but there's an important lesson here to learn when I'm done. God never promised Paul, or you or me for that matter, that full obedience to him will bring earthly health, wealth, or even comfort. Like Abraham, Paul's life ended without having any outward assurance of God's blessing. And yet, for that very reason, Paul provides an even more powerful example to us. Paul was a man who was able to keep the main thing, the main thing, all the way to the grave. He kept the main thing all the way to the feet of Jesus Christ when he met him for the first time in heaven. Graduates, what for you is your main thing? Is it that doctorate you pursue? Is it that baseball career? Is it your career as a firefighter? Is it to become a vet? 
is it to be successful in a worldly mindset? Because there are examples all over this world of people that kept their careers the main thing, and they have succeeded tremendously in their careers. But can I challenge you to keep the main thing the main thing and let that main thing be the gospel, be Jesus, his finished work on the cross, what he has done for you, poured out into the lives of other people through you? You're going to meet a whole new crew of people. Some of them may know the good news, but a lot of them probably won't. You may be the only person that shares that with them. Or you may be the first person. Go be a Paul as you move on to this next stage of your life. Folks that are no longer graduates, you're beyond that. You're, you're older, more experienced. You're in your field. You have a family. And I challenge you to keep the main thing, Christ, not your family, not even your spouse. Because for the believer in Jesus Christ, our relationship with God needs to be number one, the main thing. I've told Julie ever since we started dating, uh, sorry, but you're the second most important person to me. I did. All the way through. Hey, I love you, honey, but I love you second. Now, I wouldn't say that every time and keep rubbing in her face. She's number two. But she knows what I mean. Christ is first. That relationship precedes yours and mine. Gang, we as a nation don't even know what the main thing is anymore. We were supposedly founded on the main thing. And that main thing has shifted and changed with offices. It's shifted and changed with people, with what's cool. Because apparently scripture's not cool anymore. Yeah, it is. Because scripture is what was used to explain to me that I was a sinner in need of a savior. Without that, I was hellbound. Keep the main thing the main thing, would you? I guarantee you, not because I know from all this great experience that I have. I don't have that kind of experience that Paul does. But you can see through those examples in Scripture, those men, those women that kept the main thing the main thing have been rewarded in so many incredible ways. And there is a crown of righteousness waiting for you and waiting for me if we continue to keep the main thing the main thing. Would you do that with me? Father God, we thank you so much for the time that we've had together here this morning. Thank you for these graduates and all the hard work they've put into uh, school and their walk with you to this point. God, I would encourage... Uh, uh, or hope that you would encourage them, rather, to continue moving forward, to continue to grow, to continue to make the main thing the main thing in their life. And as we go here this morning, God, we ask that you would pave a way before us, prepare our footsteps so that we can walk in your ways and your truths, and help us to give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.